reading from the Gospel according to St. John, beginning with the 11th chapter, the first verse. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. 
He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the Gospel of John features seven miraculous signs by Jesus that each serve as physical metaphors for the spiritual realities of the Gospel of the Kingdom, the Kingdom of God. The first of these signs is in John chapter 2 when Jesus changes water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Then after that comes his healing of a royal official's son, his healing of a lame man, the feeding of the 5,000, his walking on water, and then his sixth sign we read last week when Jesus gives sight to a man born blind. But this morning our passage from John 11 describes Jesus' final sign of the seven in John's gospel, the raising of Lazarus from the dead and the events surrounding it. And this last of Jesus' signs in John's gospel is appropriately appointed for this final Sunday before we begin Holy Week, since with this sign, Jesus demonstrates his power to defeat even death. Thus, the raising of Lazarus foreshadows Jesus' own resurrection, but also it foreshadows the significance of Jesus' resurrection for us the way it takes away death's sting by diminishing death's finality for any of us who place our trust in Christ. For those of us who are in Jesus, death no longer has the final word. But as significant as this passage is for all of these reasons, it's notable that the bulk of this passage actually focuses not so much on the raising of Lazarus, but upon the response of his two sisters, Mary and Martha, their response to his death, and Jesus' ministry and encouragement to them prior to raising him from the dead. And it is this focus that makes 
the passage particularly relevant in many ways for what we are going through right now in our parish, in our nation, in the world. But before we get to current events, what stands out from the beginning of this passage, when Jesus receives word from the sisters that Lazarus is ill, is that St. John makes clear that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are not just anybody to Jesus. While thus far, Jesus' miraculous signs have tended to be for people he didn't really know before, whether it be the royal official or the lame man or the man born blind, we know from Luke 10 that Jesus had visited with Mary and Martha in their home. And in verse 5 of our passage today, John makes a point of explicitly saying, quote, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were close. So when the sisters sent word to Jesus in verse 3 that their brother Lazarus is ill, they're doing so because they've surely seen the healings Jesus is capable of. So they're also banking on the relationship he already has with them. That because of that relationship, surely Jesus will intervene and do something for their brother. But despite their relationship with Jesus and his love for them, verse 6 makes clear that Jesus does not intend to prevent this tragedy from happening. Instead, John writes, almost strangely it seems when you read it, that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, instead of going there, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This points to an important truth for the times we're all living through right now, which is that even being in relationship with Jesus, being loved and known by the one who is sovereign over everything that's going on, does not mean that he will spare us from struggle or difficulty or even situations that are quite grievous to us. Not necessarily. And this is important to understand during this time when we're all experiencing changes in our normal ways of life. There are some of us who are, who are significantly struggling as a result of some of these changes. For example, all of us have had our lives changed to some degree by this social distancing and shelter-in-place thing. And for some, these measures have led to an increased sense of loneliness and isolation. Others have had to grieve loss of work or change in work or missing out on important events or plans that they'd made for this time in the year. And all of us here are missing out on some level of the fellowship we're used to even in this parish at St. Matthias as well as the tangible grace of receiving the sacrament on Sundays. It is not only the current effects of this pandemic that can have a significant effect on us. We may also find ourselves fearing greater tribulations that may await us in the future. For example, we may fear that our own health, or find ourselves fearing that our own health may become compromised or the health of those we love. 
But also there's reason to believe that on the societal level, the worst consequences, which will affect all of us, are yet to come. Thus we may find ourselves consumed with worry about our long-term financial security, diminished 401ks, or the threat of unemployment, or the deep recession or depression that seems more and more inevitable every day that non-essential businesses remain shut down. Well, again, the truth is that God has not made any guarantees to spare us from such difficulties. I'm sorry if you tuned in hoping to hear that he has. Now, there are no doubt many trials and troubles God does spare us from, and there's certainly no harm in asking him to spare us. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. But nowhere does God promise to spare us from all evil or all harm or all struggles. In the case of Martha and Mary, even when he could have spared, spared them of the, from experiencing the death of their brother, Jesus chooses not to. So by the time Jesus makes it to Bethany, their grief and their anguish is palpable. Jesus responds by ministering to them with compassion. And he calls them to trust in what he can promise them, which is the gospel truth. So the gospel truth for Martha, who's just lost her brother, is the promise of resurrection. That for those of us who are in Christ, death no longer has the final word because we'll be raised and given new bodies and enjoy eternity with him. So even after hinting in verse 23 that he's about to miraculously raise Lazarus that day, in verse 25, Jesus teaches Martha the truth that that miracle is intended to reveal or affirm. As he says to her in 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked. So Jesus is ministering to Martha a message of hope. He's calling her to hope, to maintain hope. More broadly, this message of hope for the situation we find ourselves in, or for all the potential outcomes that maybe we most fear, for us this message of hope is that no matter what happens, no matter if it's even the worst that we can imagine, Nothing can separate us from the love and care of Jesus. As Paul writes in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, he answers himself. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus' call to us is to trust him in that, trust in that truth. 
to be willing to trust him and to take heart that whatever worldly circumstances occur, he will be with us through them. Do we believe that? Are we resting in that truth, in that promise? You know, in many ways, the circumstances that have come from this pandemic and that may still come will serve as a test, will serve as test of our faith, revealing, right, whenever the going gets tough, it sort of reveals where our trust really lies. I want to encourage you that if you find yourself failing that test at times, do not despair. Do not self-condemn, frankly. See, while Jesus exhibits perfect faith and trust in the Father all the way to the cross, the faith of both Mary and Martha seem to falter at times, even in this passage. And toward the beginning, it seems like Mary's the one whose faith is struggling, right? She hasn't come out to meet Jesus. Well, Martha says to Jesus in 22, verse 22, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Martha follows that up by saying, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then after he says, I am the resurrection of life, she affirms even deeper faith. But in verse 32 with Mary, when she falls at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing Martha had said, right? Mary doesn't follow that with any statement of trust or hope. Makes you wonder if perhaps Mary's faith had been built upon some expectations of Jesus that he had never promised to fulfill. That he's going to keep me from any struggle or tribulation or grief or loss. Thus, it makes sense that her faith would need some time to recover, to recalibrate, to rebuild. On the other hand, taking Martha, she makes that declaration of faith early on. But when Jesus later goes to the tomb where Lazarus has been buried and says in verse 39, take away the stone, right? He's getting ready to do his thing. Martha protests saying, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. Has she lost her confidence in Jesus already? Well, Both of these responses by Martha and Mary, these are very human responses, which I'm sure we can all understand and putting ourselves in their shoes think, I would have been doing one thing or the other too, you know. I think certainly Jesus understands them. Notice with Mary that Jesus recognizes, you know, he recognizes she's grieving. So how does he respond? By letting her have that experience. By having compassion. And by grieving with her. Verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Come and see 35 says, and Jesus 
wept. Friends, every one of us have experienced some loss over the past few weeks. There's one thing I'm sure of, it's that. Now, some of those losses may seem small, but there could be the loss of social connection, for example. Loss of just our routine. Some of us, routine is very important and helpful, right? Some of us, many of us, have felt the loss, the collapse of assumptions we've maybe kind of lived with about our physical or fiscal security. Or some of us may have lost a sense of optimism in the competency of some of our elected officials. Well, our tendency may be to suppress those feelings of loss. And frankly, to perhaps medicate them in some unhelpful way. But my encouragement would be instead to name those losses, however small they might feel. Some may feel large, whatever, to name them before God. Because that's the way, that's the healthy way to grieve any loss, no matter the size. And because we know that God cares about it all. So we can expect him if we name these losses before him, to have a compassionate ear to us. So I want to actually invite you to take a moment to do that. In your heart, to name the losses you've experienced, that you maybe feel grief over, or haven't even let yourself feel grief over, in the past few weeks. Can you, in your heart, name those losses before the Lord. Let's take a minute. Perhaps you might find it further helpful to share those with someone later today, or not. Well, in addition to experiencing loss over the past few weeks, I would imagine that each one of us has had moments in recent weeks where we have not been full of faith and trust. I'm just guessing. I've already mentioned how we may have experienced fears about ourselves or those we love getting sick or even dying, as well as future fears relating to the, you know, the future economic impact of all this. But we may also have been found ourselves vulnerable to spells of anxiety about all the extra measures that are required right now just to accomplish some normal daily tasks. Some of it, some may found, have found ourselves angry, again, at the incompetence of some of our political leaders, the slow-moving nature of their actions. Others may be frustrated that politicians have shut things down at all. 
or still others may find it enraging how some of our fellow citizens aren't doing their part to take social distancing and shelter-in-place orders seriously, and therefore putting us all in danger, potentially. Not being team players. All these sorts of things could trigger, could trigger us, right? The negative reactions. But from this passage, I would conclude that whatever negative responses we find ourselves having, we needn't hide them from Jesus. Tip two. Jesus can handle them. And it's okay, right? It's okay for us to have the experience, the response, the reaction we're having, right? He can handle it. He just doesn't want us to remain there and to wallow in it. So the key when these negative feelings and responses arise, moving forward even, the key is to turn to Jesus and express those feelings to him. Just as we expressed our losses together moments ago. And when we do that, we can expect him to respond compassionately. But we should also expect him to call us out of that place, out of that negative place, that place of weak faith, perhaps, waning faith, and back into the place of trusting him. We can expect, or frankly we should ask, that if there is something that we can actually change and do something about that's under our authority, God will give us then the wisdom to recognize it, and the courage to do something about it. But apart from that, we can pray and hope and ask God to grant us serenity, grant us the serenity to accept the things that we don't have control over, which is pretty much most everything I listed (laughs) for the most part. Ask God for the gift of acceptance. Have you ever done that? Ask God for the gift of acceptance of circumstances that you can't control. So I give thanks that God seeks to lead us out of those negative places. Because while he wants us to express our fears and our confusion and frustration, they do have their cost on us and on those around us, particularly if we remain in that place. I think this is part of what Jesus was getting at earlier in the passage in verse 9. When he said to his disciples, if anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is constantly trying to recalibrate our hearts back into the light, back into trusting him. So to close, during these times, we're all going to be vulnerable to respond to to circumstances in some irrational or faithless ways. But wherever we find our attitude suffering, whether it be right now or moving forward, we should ask ourselves, in what way does this outlook fail to take into account Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life? Because no matter what could happen, we still have and he is our salvation, not any of these other things that could be taken away. And so all will be well.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.